I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is All-American Stud, Jonathan Taylor. I'm melting faces in the NFL and you're listening to the best in the business. My man, the podfather. He knows things. Oh, Jonathan Taylor brings back memories. Five hours of debate. For five hours, Nate and I debated Jonathan Taylor versus Clyde Edwards-Solaire. And how Clyde Edwards-Solaire is threatening to be activated from injured reserve, as if that's going to make a difference for the Chiefs. <laughs> and Jonathan Taylor, one of my best takes ever. I think my top three best takes are Jonathan Taylor over Clyde Edwards-Solaire, Chris Godwin over Mike Evans, and most recently, Tony Pollard over Ezekiel Elliott. It's not all gumdrops and candy canes and boners. We've, we've had, some predictions just don't work out that well. So every year we dedicate a show to the coldest takes from the previous season. Because a lot of fantasy analysts talk about how right they were last year. A lot of victory lapping. Not a lot of accountability. So today we take stock of where we went wrong. Some of it was bad process. Most of it was just bad luck. And while some of the players we liked did not deliver in 2022, and some of the players we hated went nuclear, zero L's, zero L's. I'm not going to admit to being wrong on social media. Why? Because you could look up in five years from now, Jarek McKinnon is winning leagues at age 30. The prince who was promised is who we thought he was. Every year, the take that we thought was dead and a player we thought was dead is resurrected. So while we give you the cold takes, know that I am even further from outright taking L's on any player at any time, especially given what we saw this year from Jarek McKinnon in particular. And these cold takes are brought to you by our friends at Underdog. Their pick'em games are fun. My favorite's got to be the Joe Mixon over 59.5 rushing yards. Because we're picking the Bengals, the Bengals are a better team Unit by unit, more playmakers on defense, better skill position players, better depth overall. And Patrick Mahomes has been practicing from a stationary position. He is not 100%, which is just another reason to go Bengals. And if you like the Bengals in this game, you go Joe Mixon over 59.5 and 
Isaiah Pacheco under 48.5 rushing yards. When it's a Pacheco week, we've been making a lot of money on underdog playing Pacheco to exceed expectations, but that's not this week. It's not a Pacheco week. The promo code is UNDERWORLD. You double your deposit up to $100 on underdog. Promo code UNDERWORLD. Now, what's funny is you could be listening to this show a day after the conference championship game, and what I just said could also be a cold take. We shall see. But in the meantime, here are some definitively freezing cold takes from 2022 coming at you. rat a tat I would get off Aaron Jones now because this offense is anemic and there's going to be Dylan weeks and there's going to be Aaron Jones weeks and you're going to have to suffer through a bunch more duds. And it's very possible from here on out, both AJ Dillon and Travis Etienne outscore Aaron Jones. That's how you end up with so much AJ Dillon. If you have a guy with size, speed, and he's going to be one of the target leaders on the team because they just have no weapons left, then of course you draft that guy in the sixth round. That guy's a smash in the sixth round. So big time, big time buy low right now on A.J. Dillon. But there are scenarios where I'm going wide receiver times three and then getting my hero RB in the fourth round. Should I go Akers in that case or Brees Hall? The recent news about Daryl Henderson splitting first team reps, I think is kind of all we need to know about acres. I was taking him in that range actually. And the argument was more about being worried about his efficiency, not the touches, the, the rumors that McVay historically, at least has used more than one running back is a complete lie. Uh, he's always leaned on one running back last year in any game that a running back didn't get injured. And we have 13 samples of that. Uh, the starter actually averaged 70% of the team's backfield touches. It's only one guy, but now out of camp, for Henderson to be splitting reps because I guess, like a lot of recency biased people, uh, McFay is worried about those two and a half yards per carry and multiple fumbles That's not that Akers recorded not in the playoffs. That's not what, what is it is. It? That What that is is just managing reps. They're just Which managing reps. They lived through their star running back rupturing an Achilles while training, while practicing. Like... They, they live through it. They've learned their lesson. So I don't think that's what it is. I think that we saw McVay's intentions in the playoffs. I don't remember seeing much of Darrell Henderson in the Super Bowl at all. Do you? No. Also, they've lived through this with Daryl Henderson as well, who every time he gets the job always suffers another ankle injury, which he had going back to Memphis as well. Don't even worry about it. Get out of here. This is the which same is case we've been talking about. Why are you going Hopkins over Burks? Why are you going Hertz or Dak or Russell Wilson over Trey Lance? For the same principles, your same core principles there, I, you got to go Akers over Brees Hall. I love Brees Hall, and I'm, I'm tantalized by the upside, but we're talking about the Rams offense versus the Jets offense. And two similar running backs, all else equal. Like, if you put those two guys in a vacuum, they're similar size, similar athletic profiles, similar receiving profiles. There's just not a big difference between these two, two guys, except the team they're on. And the one guy we know has established himself as their go-to workhorse when it means the most. And I'm not going to hold a single game 
efficiency metric from the Super Bowl against him. So that would be my argument. Four acres. To be fair, before that training camp news, I have a lot of acres. This I was is what happens. I this was treating him in the chuck. same range of Ezekiel Elliott. I get it. But also, underdog requires this. Like Underdog requires us changing at least our draft strategy all the time because the ADP fluctuates so much. Uh, Akers also, remember, I already talked about using one running back. Remember that rookie stretch he had where he closed the year of his last seven games once he returned from injury? Like He averaged 84% of the team's touches. Last year in the playoffs, just 66%. Like Not how we envision McFay using his running backs. More importantly, why I was on Acres is the overarching argument, which to your point, I probably should have just stuck with overall, and that is the fact that after Matthew Stafford and the Rams recorded 80% of their touchdown through the air, right, unsustainable rate, um, only 10 teams have done that in the last decade, uh, and none were able to increase that the following year. Like, we expect them to actually score more rushing touchdowns. Like, will Stafford go 5 of 7 on throws from the goal line and 10 of 13 from inside the 5 again? I don't know. Like, maybe they will get him to throw that, but also they could just fall forward for more goal line touchdowns. So the overarching argument is what I was using early on to draft Akers, and you were probably right. I should stick with that. And remember we talked about this with Zion Johnson? Mm-hmm. we take a step back and be like, what the fuck are we talking about here, right? We're talking about one of the best guards in the draft who could you know, close a significant weakness on any team's offensive line and, and be a real difference maker from down to down. That guy is hugely valuable, okay? You look at the fourth round, and it's just strange. It's strange to see Brees Hall and Cam Akers being drafted around players that are not true alphas or are on some of the worst offenses in the league. Mm-hmm. Where I'm talking, I'm looking at Brandon Cooks. I love Brandon Cooks. I'm looking at Darnell Mooney. And I'm like, these guys were sound process plays in the fifth and sixth round. But with everybody in this rush to get wide receivers, especially in these start three wide receiver formats, when the choice becomes Akers and Hall versus Mooney, you've got to take your head out of your ass and draft the player that's going to help you win a league. And that's not Darnell Mooney. I like Darnell Mooney. He's not going to help you win a league. Akers absolutely could. Brees Hall absolutely could. So when you work backwards and you see how this could play out, that is the incentive to go wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and get your hero RB in round four. So I've started doing these backfield breakdowns going kind of team by team through the NFL. And I, I get to the Titans and I find that this last season, Derrick Henry, given the box counts he was seeing, was barely outproducing the efficiency of the other Titans running backs, which you know raised a little bit of a red flag for me. But I didn't know if that was something that was stable through his career. Could be random, could be how teams are adjusting the boxes accordingly. Exactly. And so I, I went ahead and looked back throughout his entire career, and he just posted his worst season of his career, and the only season since his rookie year where he was this bad relative to the other guys on the team. Throughout his prime, he was you know 90th plus percentile rushing efficiency, given the box counts he was seeing, 90th percentile consistency relative to his teammates, and this year he was 50th percentile, 45th percentile in those categories. 
He's over the age apex. He just came off the least healthy season of his career. I want to be out early rather than late on these aging running backs. And I think the indicators are there that Derrick Henry might be done. So I think I'm out. I don't think he's done, but we took significant criticism for having Derrick Henry ranked as low as we have. We, we had him ranked at a place where you would never get him. Last year of fantasy drafts, startups, you would never get this guy because uh, he was 27 years old. Yeah. We're like, he's a 27-year-old running back. No, but it's Derrick Henry. You don't understand. No, but he was lightly used his first two years. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And then we were right. He mm -hmm. gave you nothing yeah. in the second half last year. Gave you nothing. Anyone that drafted him was drawing dead. And now he's 28. And yeah. you see how the rope, it just, it, this, this, it just slips through your finger. You're trying to get a grip and you just can't. This is what happens with the aging running backs. Even the ones that are perceived to be the outliers, the exceptions, our machine that processes all these lifetime value ratings doesn't care about the video you saw on social media <laughs> with Derrick Henry lifting weights with a giant chain around his neck. Yes. The computer doesn't see that. The computer just sees trends in production and efficiency and age and positions you in a way that when you're in a startup using our dynasty deluxe package you would never even come close to getting derrick henry where derrick henry would go rounds before like you're even considering him and you just have to know that whoever's drafting him is going to eat shit you just have to have that confidence now it's it's certainly possible that maybe he doesn't break his foot last year and everything's great and he's a league winner he was certainly on that trajectory but he didn't and part of the reason why he got hurt is because the workload was simply irresponsible he was mm -hmm. scoring all those fantasy points because of the workload but that workload was irresponsible from the beginning so it's like you're scoring all these points but it's actually unsustainable because the risk that you're taking to score all those points, the number of reps you're taking on an NFL football field is so high that eventually the music is going to stop. And it did. And yeah. you could call it bad luck, but it's, it's not bad luck. If you roll the dice enough times and it comes up snake eyes, that's not bad luck. Stop rolling the dice so much, Titans. You don't need to give this guy 40 carries a game. Right. Yeah, and because they give him 40 carries a game, it's entirely possible that he could be a diminished player and still run for 1,200 yards at 4.2 yards per carry next season. But in that event, if the if the downward trend on his efficiency continues, he's going to be a seventh-round startup pick a year from now, and you're going to lose out on any value you would have had by just passing on him. And the ship has long sailed with him catching passes. Yes. It's always possible that these grinders can become a little more versatile over the course of their careers. Not not Derrick Henry. He's he's way past that. Chase Edmonds. Yes, I knew it. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. That's Thank you. Thank Chase you. Edmonds is who I want as my RB2, especially in PPR formats. That's the player I want. That's why I'm doing Hero RB is so that I can have Chase Edmonds as my RB2. Yes. Your RB2. How? 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 How is this possible? 
that he's just always there, man. Always it's there. So reliable. I mean, I could set my watch by it. All these other players we've talked about, you know, theoretically, is there, right? Maybe, hopefully. Oh man, Edmonds is always there. It's the most reliable thing. It's Beautiful. great. You can fill out your whole roster, and then there's Chase Edmonds. It's, it's unbelievable. It used to be a uh, ninth, tenth round, but now it's seventh. But hopefully, it doesn't move up too much further. But I, I would even feel comfortable in the sixth, P- full PPR. Yes, yes. You're not worried about Raheem Mostert. See, no. the thing is, there's no usage patterns with a brand new coach. Right. So you don't have that to go back to. To to to. That's the thing. I'm so happy. I'm so happy with a new coach in Miami, and you can't hit me over the head. Just wrap me over the head nonstop with usage patterns until I relent. Because we don't know. We have no idea. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mystery what, what Mike McDaniels has in store, what his plans are for Chase Edmonds. So we can just look at the ability and know that, hey, this guy, he was the number one running back in fantasy one week. He has that level of upside, RB1 in fantasy any given week. Yeah, uh, 5.8 yards per carry in zone uh, runs. Uh, number one in that in that uh, metric. Uh, number one in uh, EPA per play in zone runs, which is what they're going to run because that you know McDaniel's coming from San Francisco, so he's going to yield some carries. But that's all that uh, Mostert and Mich- uh, Sony Michelle do is carry the ball. All those catches, almost all those catches, are going to be Chase Edmonds. Phenomenal receiver, Phenomenal. and I'm loving these. I'm loving these interviews with him on Twitter, where they do a, a little minute in his brain, and he's talking about all the nuances of the the outside outside zone run, rushing attack and his ability, and uh, how he looks to refine his play and learn to run with his line better, and everything. Just he's a very cerebral player, and I like to see that sort of focus on your own self improvement because those te- those players tend to get better as time goes on. So I think even this season, we're going to see growth in him uh, as the season wears on, as this offense starts to, starts to click, but they gave they gave him 6 million compared to most or 1 million. I mean, I think that tells you, and then Michelle was 850,000 or something. So just look at the money too. Like this is how they value him. And they went out and got him. So is he going to have 300 touches? Probably not, but he's going to have a lot of, catches and those are the high yield touches and he's going to run the ball more than i think people think like they're not going to want to be too predictable when he's on the field so he's going to carry the ball too he needs to be a top 30 running back in dynasty that's the thing i know we're we're talking about seasonal leagues great best ball of course but don't forget chase edmonds is highly attainable in dynasty he's the first running back i'm targeting when i'm trying to go get a running back for a, a running back needy dynasty team I'm looking right at Chase Edmonds. I'm like, okay, he's 26 years old, and he's a lightly raced race car. So he's going to have his age 26, 27, and 28 seasons. Three super productive electric seasons still coming for Chase Edmonds. Why not? Like, you're drafting Rashad White hoping he's Chase Edmonds. You could just have Chase Edmonds. Why not just have Chase Edmonds? Yeah. Now, I do think there's a couple players that are going to benefit from Carson Wentz being in Washington. The first is Antonio Gibson. Uh, The Colts running backs had 84 receptions last year. I know Antonio Gibson has not been this big pass catcher yet. 
and J.D. McKissick has taken up all those targets. But McKissick be back? I don't know. But I think we're going to see I, – I think we're going to see Wentz be a lot more aggressive throwing the ball to running backs than Taylor Heineke. I think so. And I think that Antonio Gibson has top five potential this year. Top three – I mean, he's physically and athletically comparable to Jonathan Taylor, and you could argue a better receiver. Mm-hmm. And you could also argue now with Wentz that he's in a better offense. And the and other yet, thing that- on underdog best ball, he's going early third round. I think he should be a second rounder, and it's it's arbitrage on Jonathan Taylor, really. And the other good thing about Gibson is the further we go on to the season, the more Washington's going to learn that Carson Wentz isn't the answer. So they're going to just have to lean on Antonio Gibson, which means we're going to see a lot of twenty-two touch games, twenty-four touch games. <laughs> ask you about nick chubb on your feelings with him because i'm not gonna lie in projections he doesn't show up well for me or at least not as good as i thought he would does he and show I up know he, anyone's projections highly rated we have him as like a late second rounder i mean I'm, that's like being generous i'm assuming what are you doing with nick chubb he doesn't project well he's an efficiency monster but we're talking about i mean if watson starts the whole season i believe he's had the lowest running back target share since he entered the league so, you know, he already doesn't get targets, so now we're getting less targets. He's going to be eating, what, 25 to 30% of the rush attempts. Stefanski doesn't particularly play that fast. We don't know if that'll change with Watson or not. But if he does, I assume they're going more pass-heavy, so that means even less rush attempts. And now you have red zone competition. What if Watson runs it in himself? <laughs> so, I mean, to me, Chubb is not projecting well for me at all. That's the double-edged sword of Watson, right? It's like, great. Like, <laughs> There's a reason why Miles Sanders had zero touchdowns last year. Why do you think he had zero touchdowns, right? I mean, mobile quarterback can sustain drives. Great. Steals the touchdowns. Oh, right. <laughs> hey, we got inside the 20. <laughs> oh, right. We're getting five like, yards per carry, six yards per carry. Hey, <laughs> yes. Alfred Morris Corollary. You're more efficient. You're in the red zone. Oh, right. At least and with high- Chubb. You're getting long touchdowns, and you're getting red zone touches. You are at least getting some valuable touches. Yes. Right? You are. And and there's going to be an improved offensive efficiency. So that's not the most impossible story to tell yourself. It's just that I'm not the type of guy that's out here drafting Derrick Henry and and Nick Chubb. I'm just not that guy. I'm not wired in a way that that's a guy I'm drafting. Those aren't the bets I like the place. And Kareem Hunt used to have standalone value. I don't know if he does anymore. Well, Kareem Hunt apparently is not getting cut. He's not going to get cut. It doesn't seem like it. And if he's not getting cut, they clearly have this defined plan on how they like to use the two of them, which caps Chubb also. Ronald Jones. Yes. Once upon a time, back when the show was in its prime, we were hypercritical of a particular fantasy analyst named Nick Whalen. Nick Whalen had Ronald Jones as his RB1, if we all remember. And that wasn't that big of a deal if he was in a draft class with Sony Michelle and Rashad Penny and Darius Geis. 
that wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But he also just happened to be in the same draft class as Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley. And it, it wasn't even close to the right process to go through where you would actually come to the conclusion that Ronald Jones, of all players, is actually the best running back in this class. Some of the sloppiest hands we've ever seen. And sure, he can break tackles, but only once he added like 20 pounds in the offseason. Before that, he was had overrated speed, overrated hands, overrated vision, overrated everything. Right, And now we've come full circle. Every year, every damn year, four straight years, fading Ronald Jones. Just fade, fade, fade. And every year, right, right, right. And so I, I going into year five of Ronald Jones, it is sweet. I think it's a sweet, sweet thing that we can look up and in the double-digit rounds push the button on Ronald Jones. Do you agree with me drafting Ronald Jones in the Scott Fish Bowl? Yeah, I mean, well, where did you get him? Of course, he's probably a, what, round 11, 12? Where did he go in yours? Okay, so, yeah, of course. I think when you get down into that range, when we look at the guys in that range in the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, I should have met the 11-11. Especially in the running back position. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. He's a guy that, you know, Clyde Edwards has been ineffective at a multitude of turns since he's been with the Chiefs and so if you're going to hedge against what he might be in this offense you know very clearly Ronald Jones is the next best option who's going to be the red zone back for the Chiefs best guess uh ooh, that's a good question probably still going to be Ronald Jones potentially is the bigger back out of the two who do you think's a better running back Ronald ooh. Jones or Clyde Edwards Solaire? Uh, Clyde Edwards has been good. Now here's the thing. This is where I think this is being slightly bent a little too far. I think Clyde Edwards is as effective as a runner as Ronald Jones no. has been. Oh, what? I, th Ronald I think Jones he has is actually a tackle breaker. So he's actually, he's, 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 he has, he, he does have that ability. When I look at Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, I see zero traits that are above average. Ronald Jones, you say what you want about him. But one of the reasons why I'm drafting him is I know for a fact he can break tackles. He can break tackles, but we've seen Clyde Edwards be more elusive than he is, but that's a product of two different styles of runners at two different sizes. So to tell me that a guy that adds 20 pounds is a tackle breaker, well, yeah, Alvin Kamara is a tackle breaker. Henry's a tackle breaker. Like, but Chubb can be a tackle breaker. These bigger backs who don't catch passes very clearly play the game as a tackle breaker. And in this offense, you know, needing red zone touches, knowing that they're going to be in the red zone often, it makes sense to hedge against the fact that maybe Clyde Edwards isn't going to see the red zone touches and doesn't score as many touchdowns. It's very possible in this offense. This year, I would say Trey Lance has probably a higher fantasy football floor. You know, typically your modeling is going to be skeptical of small school players, players that don't have the wealth of production on their resume. So with Trey Lance, a lot of it is based on faith in the NFL's evaluation process, pushing him into the top three, and then us just getting excited about his upside. Yeah, he's like, from a prospect profile perspective, I, I do look at uh, starter seasons in college. I think that's uh, one of the... That's one of the things that I look at, and I want to see at least two starter seasons. So he only had one, so he gets dinged for that. 
But as it stands right now, he actually might still qualify for Bulletproof because his season was so incredible. Oh, that and then one his season. draft capital is so high. Yeah, so he had that one season with the 1,000 rushing yards and then the draft yeah. capital and the size yeah. and the measurables. And it's like, okay, guys, that's what yeah. I've been saying. Like, just get it over with. It was a weird thing last year when we had no idea when he was going to start. And best ballers were all excited about stacking Lance with Ayuk. And uh didn't understand that. So that's still a little risky. Even Fields. I don't know what that offense is going to look like. I don't know when he's going to start starting. Let's see. These guys are rookies, right? This is the skeptic in me. I, five years ago, I would have been out in front waving the banner with everybody else. Right? So I'm burned enough. It's like, okay, I'm not doing that. But then I'm like, well, he had some games that were really impressive. Garoppolo's gone. So that all that that, that whole cloud that was hovering over him last year is wiped away his adp should jump many rounds in best ball and it hasn't happened yet uh, but i think it's going to happen because all it yeah, needs I, to happen right is just some impressive throws in camp and then whoosh. yeah it's like from a fantasy football's perspective we're looking for rush attempts at the quarterback position and he averaged i don't know he had one game of 12 and 8 or something in his two starts like He's he's gonna lead the league in rush attempts or damn close to it, and and then you and then from a quarterback perspective for fantasy football, I'm also looking at supporting cast. I'm not sure there's a better supporting cast in football than San Francisco 49ers right now. Well, they crushed so, in yards after the catch per target. They were number one by a huge margin. Yeah, like like even if he's not that good at throwing the football, it's not hard to throw a dump off to Debo Samuel and let him run for 50 yards. Like I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo did it. Like. Jimmy Garoppolo had 16 points per game last year, and he's terrible. Terrible. So if he can do 16 points per game without any rushing production, and then we put Trey Lance in with 10 rushing attempts per game or eight rushing attempts per game, like he's going to be a quarterback one. We have one more question here I want to answer because I, I like this question. This is something we talked about off air. Favorite late-round quarterback. And people aren't going to be comfortable doing this. Again, I am comfortable waiting this long at the position. It's Davis Mills. And I talked with Matt off air about this. He had, he was the quarterback 10 over his final five starts with nine touchdown passes and a pair of 300 yard games. In the 13 games he played, he finished as a top 15 quarterback in half of them, six of them, because we can't play half games. In weeks five, eight, and 18, he finished as a quarterback one with 24.7 fantasy points, 21.4 fantasy points, 27.2 fantasy points. He was quarterback 15 in completion percentage of 66.8. Quarterback 18 in touchdown rate at 41 or 4.1%. Quarterback 18 in money throws. Quarterback 18 in pressure completion percentage. Quarterback 15 in air yards per game. Quarterback 12 in air yards per attempt. Quarterback four. This is the best one in deep ball completion percentage. That's he was super that's, that's very impressive. That's profiler, right? Yeah, it's a little, little little site I found. It's been amazing. Um, <laughs> He's been going off the board right now as quarterback 28 at the FFWC. Mm. You can push it, push it, push it to the max and have upside for a top 15 play on a week-to-week basis. This offense is going to be bad. They're going to play from behind. They're going to have a bad defense. They're going to need to throw the ball. Brandon Cooks resigned. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, or I wish wouldn't be a sleeper. Because if they didn't have Brandon Cooks, I wouldn't have listed his name here. But Brandon Cooks here in the offense changes things, and I think Davis Mills has a – you know, above average campaign, especially he's going to finish above quarterback 28. He's going to be, in my opinion, that quarterback 16 to 21 range. And if you're waiting that long at the position, that's what you want is someone to at least outproduce their ADP by, you know, 
half a dozen spots or even a dozen spots in the, the positional. He was really hurt by the COVID year. Really hurt. No other prospect was as negatively impacted by the COVID year as Davis Mills because he was on pace to have a super efficient year. He was 8.1 yards per attempt the year prior, had 2,000 yards in half a season, had a nice touchdown-interception ratio, and then poof, right? Season's over after five games. If he was able to put up a full season and be one of the the college football leaders in yards and put up, you know, 25 touchdowns possibly. Then it would have he would have moved not into that Mac Jones Justin Fields tier because they were super prolific on like Ohio State and Alabama, but it would have been he would have got a boost, right? It would have been a different we there would have been a, a much more of an instant appreciation for him and he would not have fallen to the third round. Had he had a full season, he could have gone maybe mid-second round. And mid-second round makes a big difference between falling into the third round. But you really look back on it, he's, he's best comparable to Matt Hasselbeck. thing I like to always ask people is if he didn't declare last year and he played and he came in in 2022, where is he drafted? Probably round one. Yeah, I think he's an awesome super flex option. Yep. Awesome. Baker Mayfield goes to the Panthers. That's good news for one player in particular, and it's not Baker Mayfield. It's not Christian McCaffrey. It's DJ Moore. These are the quarterbacks that DJ Moore has played with since entering the league, where he's top 15 in fantasy points scored since 2018. Cam Newton, Taylor Heineke, Will Greer, Kyle Allen, Sam Darnold, Teddy Bridgewater, PJ Walker. I don't like Baker Mayfield, but he's a hell of a lot better than those guys. Wheels up for DJ Moore. Now, we talked earlier about the dangers of putting together a quality roster and then forgetting to add that quarterback at the end because you want to put the quarterback on the top of the, of the building like the tower, the big antenna on top of the skyscraper. Denver failed to do it. Carolina failed to do it. Didn't push the button on Mac Jones. Didn't push the button. Neither pushed the button on Mac Jones or Justin Fields. Who should be the quarterback in Denver? Ideally, assuming it's not Aaron Rodgers, let's just put Aaron Rodgers off to the side because he could still come back to Green Bay. He has all the leverage, especially if they go on a run, win the Super Bowl, he's definitely back. But even if they go on a run, maybe make the Super Bowl and lose or lose in the conference championship again, that front office has seen what they have in Jordan Love, and no one is impressed. Give us a creative quarterback solution for Denver in 2022. Look, I think the 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 fix-all, right, the super glue that would hold everything together is Russell Wilson. That's the dream. That's the dream, right? And I don't know how realistic it is because I've heard a lot that he wants to be in a major media market. Oh, of course like, he does. That, that that Sierra really wants him in a major of media course. market, and th- and that's that's part of what's going on here. And so I don't know if he's going to have his pick of the media markets because apparently the Giants are doubling down on Daniel Jones. We'll get into that on a at a different time. Uh, but what Denver? But the, the Giants aren't close. Denver's got to get either someone high in the draft or get very creative with 
what they do in terms of trying to trade for somebody, right? The name that I would think of immediately, but I actually think he's a better fit somewhere else, is Matt Ryan. Congratulations to all these Broncos. Jerry Judy, yay! Cortland Sutton, yay! You could fit right into that DK Metcalf role. Pour one out for Tyler Lockett. Aw, you're the new Jerry Judy. And DK Metcalf, aw, too bad. You're probably the next uh, Cortland Sutton. But the big winner in this trade is none other than Albert Akuegbunum. No offense headed to Seattle. Meanwhile, Akuegbunum was top three in target rate, targets per route run, and top three in catch rate. He is athletically comparable to Noah Fant. You take efficiency, and you add opportunity, and you get fantasy points. I hate TJ Hawkinson this year. Hate. Oh, I think he's really? I I I think TJ Hawkinson is the worst tight end pick in fantasy football. T, t, do you want me to talk about TJ Hawkinson and, and get you off? I had no idea. Yeah, TJ Hawkinson was a bad pick. Is it target competition related? So there's a lot of things. So number one, he's a he's a dead a tight end dead zone tight end. Historically, middle round tight ends have sucked. They've been awful bets. So that's the first thing. I if I'm gonna pick one out of that range this year, it's Dallas Goddard uh, over over Hawk. But I actually have Goddard ranked ahead of Hawk. I don't know if that's that it used to be used to be a little contrarian, but it's really not anymore. The other thing mm. we see with uh, these middle round tight ends is if you're trying to find like a true breakout guy who exceeds ADP expectation, almost always associated with a high quarterback by ADP, and that's not what we get with Jared Goff. And if you look at middle round, so round six to nine tight ends since 2011, who had a bottom half quarterback and were not the top pass catcher drafted from their team, which is another good indicator that they're good, like like Mark Andrews last year, you know, top top uh, Ravens pass catcher being drafted. So bottom half quarterback, not the first pass catcher being drafted because Amon Ross St. Brown's there. Only one of 19 have been breakouts, according to how I define breakout, which is exceeding ADP expectation by three or more points. Uh, since 2011, it was Zach Ertz with Carson Wentz, and it was purely... Because of, of volume and seeing a lot of volume. And that's just not going to happen for TJ Hawkinson. It's not good. His, his The odds are very much stacked against TJ. The other thing about TJ Hawkinson, I don't know if he's good. Like, I, I think he's good. I don't know if he's elite. And so I want an elite talent on my fantasy rosters. And if you look at what he's done the first three years, he's never given us that like top three, top four point per game season. And you have the emergence of Amon Ross St. Brown, who is a better target than TJ Hawkinson is. You have DJ Chark coming in. He's not necessarily a better target, but he's another target. And then eventually during the fantasy playoffs, you could have Jamison Williams coming back. And it just like it, it TJ Hawkinson could, could be at the end of the season, you know, the, the final four weeks of the season, he could be consistently seeing like a 10 to 15% target share. And that scares me. <laughs> that was good. That was a good sound effect. I mean, fuck, man. <laughs> I did that rant. I did that same rant on my show with Silva, 
and and he was just like he's like well no one's taking tj i guess i guess there goes (laughs) there goes the neighborhood I, 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 better I be can right continue about to focus on getting Goff as my uh, third quarterback in Superflex like and, and continue yeah. to draft Shark wherever yeah, I can and yeah, Swift in the early second round. We're all uh, good, I, right? I like, gonna... like Amon Ross like St. Brown, too. I just don't like TJ Hawkinson. That's the one player Clearly. of that group that I don't like. Clearly. Who do you think is the Elijah Mitchell during the pre-draft process where he came in and ran a sub 4-4-40 and surprised everyone being the best athlete in the class? One name that comes to mind, and he is, I'm higher than consensus on this player, out of Cincinnati, Jerome Ford. Wait, you're going to say Jerome Ford here? I was going to ask you about Jerome Ford. That's my guy. Anyone? Do you know where we have Jerome Ford ranked? Where do you have him ranked? I'll tell you where we have Jerome Ford ranked. We have him at five. Oh, shit. You still got me. I got him at six. I just said it before you said five. I have him at yeah, six. Yeah, we have Jerome Ford at five. I love him. I just think that he's the, the, the quintessential example of a running back that transfers yep. because he knows he's good, like Khalil Herbert, like enough already. Get me out of here. Dude, he was originally Not- an Alabama running back. He was in that system. And he was one of 17 guys. And he's like, listen, this is not working for me. I need to go somewhere where I can be productive. And then he goes from 114 yards to <laughs> 1,300 yards with the 20 receptions, with the 20 touchdowns, and the size. Uh, it, it, he's he's kind of tough to beat. Fastest running back in this class. I think he's going to run also faster than everyone. You also Oh man, there's some there's data out. There. He, he was clocked at ten five in a hundred meter dash in high school, which again, I just said Devon A chain ran ten two. Jerome Ford at two two eighteen was clocked at ten five in the hundred meter dash. I think he's the most explosive. I believe he's got the in home run speed. Uh, for me, is not the end all be all, but he's athletic. He's big. He's fast, and he has the high school pedigree. I'm not ready to say this year's Eli Mitchell. Because I don't know if he's going to go day three. I, I think no, 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 no. That that was yeah. the thing. Like I don't think he's coming out of nowhere because yeah, Cincinnati I, was a high profile team this year. They made a run. I was thinking more a small school guy that's going to be an incredible athlete. Aaron Jones, Elijah Mitchell. Seems like every year we get at least one small school running back that yeah. is incredibly athletic. And just because he wasn't on anyone's radar, it kind of catches people by surprise. Tyrion Davis-Price was drafted earlier. Mm-hmm. Tyrion Davis-Price has that upside of being the starting running back in one of the most efficient running games. Yeah. Where, okay, he's not going to catch a lot of passes, neither will Pierce, but at least he's on an offense where Trey Lance is going to freeze linebackers, he has wide running lanes, and he has the breakaway speed that Damian Pierce lacks to score long touchdowns, but also touchdowns in the red zone that... Damian Pierce just won't be afforded, but there's yeah. uh, Elijah Mitchell there. Yes. The other complicating factor in San Francisco, I know it was a total whiff for Trey Sermon last year, um, and the candle is not burning brightly for him, but I think the reason the Niners drafted Trey Sermon is because he was his own read running back, and they took Trey Lance and I think that Sermon was intended to be the running back for Trey Lance. Oh, that's and interesting. They did, yeah, I, I mean, I, I 
to, to me, I mean, he came out of the Ohio State system playing that type of ball. Uh, so, so, I mean, I'm leaving, I am leaving the light on for Trey Sermon a little bit. And he, you know, had similar draft capital to TDP. And they, the team also traded up for Sermon, you know, just a year ago. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I could still see, I think the debate for most people will be TDP versus Mitchell. But I think it's actually a three-way competition to see who meshes the best with a Lance version of the offense. Mitchell worked well with Garoppolo. Maybe he won't fit a different scheme as well. So I think it's fair to call the 49ers backfield unsettled and we want to target uncertain backfields every year. We'll be saying, you know, target whoever the 49ers added to the backfield. So, you know, as long as Shanahan's there. So I, I got, I mean, I got no problem with the debate. I got They're no problem squander with receiving like skills better. anyway. This is what I yeah. like about Tyrion Davis price. If a running yeah. back goes there with receiving skills, they're going to squander him anyway. Mm-hmm. So you might as well have a guy without a receiving track record yeah. with breakaway speed. You might as well yeah, have you- that guy. Uh, yeah, I have you seen the Dallas Cowboys schedule? Remember, Michael Gallup. There it is. There not going to be ready for week one. There it is. Okay, and Michael you're, Gallup. You're supposed to be afraid of James Washington. Michael Gallup, PUP. Jalen Tolbert. Yes, and the schedule. Yeah. Dallas Cowboys schedule is absolutely exquisite. It's hard to believe. It's like you created a schedule in fiction just for fantasy football purposes. Because remember, the Dallas Cowboys were not a fast-paced team last year. They were not a high-volume team. You could easily imagine a scenario where the super-polished Jalen Tolbert is starting in three receiver sets. It's very. It's not. It's not assured because we we we. Go to best case scenario with rookie wide receiver X starting in week one. It never happens, right? But it 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 has happened before. It's possible. Yeah. And if there was a wide receiver that's set up to start in week one, Jalen Tolbert's Jaylen way up there. Yeah, absolutely. That well, that's kind of the that's kind of part of the the calculus here. I mean, after C D Lamb, who else is there? I mean, I understand there's Michael Gallup, but who is Jalen Tolbert competing with for targets? James Washington. Right. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Noah Brown. So. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> Simi Fahoko. You're going to hear Jalen Tolbert's name called. Yes, sir. He was the absolute alpha yeah. at the Senior Bowl. Now, you got to think about the alphas at the Senior Bowl because I, I, I keep getting people that will come back at me and say, well, Denzel Mims. Hey, man, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Denzel Mims was the the best wide receiver at the Senior Bowl in 2020, the, the year I was there. Uh, yes, that's true. It's it's not a 100% not hit either. rate. Yeah, exactly. right. right? It's exactly. not automatic. <laughs> right. Right? But who was before yeah. that? Oh, Debo Samuel. Who was before Cooper that? Cup. Oh, a Cooper Cup. So, Terry McLaurin. Terry right. McLaurin. So the track record is very good. Hey, have you figured it out yet? Have you figured it out who the best draft pick of the NFL draft was? Well, it's pretty easy. There was a team that needed a wide receiver desperately, and they got their guy. There are very few small school players that declare early. One, Devontae Adams. Two, Deontay Johnson. That's great company. Athletically, he compares to Christian Kirk, Stephon Diggs, and Golden Tate. Perfect player, perfect team, perfect fit. It's Sky Moore to the Chiefs. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Jalen Waddle suddenly has a lot more target competition. But I'm hearing that somehow, some way, Tyreek Hill actually helps Jalen Waddle. I've heard these takes. These are the asinine backwards takes make no sense. And that's why you tune into this podcast so you could actually get real advice, cold clinical guidance based on how target shares and air yard shares are distributed on actual NFL teams. Tyreek is one of the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. He's not going to go to Miami and be a benefit to Jalen Waddle. And and I also will say that I think he's a redundant asset to Waddle because everybody looks at what Waddle did last year. We've talked about this before. Tua didn't have time to throw. The offensive line was garbage. They weren't throwing the ball downfield. That's clearly what the attempt to do is here with you know Mike McDaniel. It it's potentially worse than even the worst case scenario that any of us has really thought through because my thinking was in year one, with so few options, they knew they had to try to manufacture touches for Waddle and run him on these shallow routes. But in year two and beyond, they were going to finally open up the offense and he was finally going to seize those air yards that he saw in Alabama, right? So I'm like, well, th- this was a one-time thing. And he was outside the top 100 yep. in target depth last year, which is a huge red flag normally, but... Yeah. We know he was a downfield playmaker at Alabama and that there was this particular circumstance that they were facing in Miami. So that made some sense to me. But now this trade for Tyreek Hill tells me that they, they've never had this in mind, that he is going to continue to be a shallow route runner. Shallow route runners are not the best fantasy producers. I don't know if the shallow route running thing is a fact. Again, we've talked about I, I don't this love before. It. Well, look, so, I don't love okay. it. I mean, yeah, okay, you could be Debo Samuel, but yeah, there's one Debo Samuel. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. he loved Debo Samuel. He coached Debo Samuel in San Francisco, so then now we're going to have Debo Samuel 2.0 in Miami. Uh, slow down, right? That's just like someone who says, well, Malik Willis is Josh Allen. You're chasing the, the ultimate outlier. There hasn't been a wide receiver in the league that I can remember like Debo Samuel. So be very careful doing that. I... I recently did a video, youtube.com forward slash Nate List. I did the, what does Tyreek Hill do to this offense? Here's my take on it. Number one, might be a shocker to people, but both of these guys have to be outside the top 12 in Dynasty at this point, right? Like that, and the people are going to push back. I think that's that's a fact. After this happened, Waddle to me was a guy that was climbing into the top 10, arguably at one point or approaching it. Tyreek is for a long time been in the top 10, but one of the biggest issues here is Tyreek's contract for at least Three to four years is a problem, okay? And even though even though Tua had no time to throw and they've worked on this offensive line in a pretty significant way so far, he is going to hurt Waddle's production. He is not going to make it back to that same target share. With that being said, neither is Tyreek. Tyreek's not making it back to 159 targets again because, as I mentioned, number one, Mike McDaniel in this last offense – had 29 with the rank of the San Francisco offense was 29th in the league in terms of pass attempts. That was 160 less pass attempts than Kansas City. So he's stepping away from an offense that threw the shit out of the ball and going to one that doesn't, and he's working across from a redundant receiver. They're both going to cannibalize one another.
But I do want to get your thoughts on DK Metcalf. Okay, DK Metcalf is ready to be extended, right? He feels ready. He sees that A.J. Brown got his second contract, very lucrative second contract, and he's like, well, actually, I've been more productive than my ex-teammate at Mississippi. I deserve a little bit more money. And he is top 10 all-time in receiving yards by age 24. That's pretty good. He's a pretty good player. And there's there's no hope for him to be top 10 in the league in any category on this team in the next three years. It's going to be three years before he could even hope to be a super productive wide receiver where he's competing for you know the league lead in receiving yards or receiving touchdowns. It's not going to happen on this team. He knows it, man. What's going to happen with Metcalf? I think he's going to leave. I think he's signed somewhere else. I don't think Seattle's willing to sack up that kind of money for him. I don't think Pete Carroll's willing to do it. I think he believes in the run game way too much. The trade A.J. Brown, who was by far their best player, Tennessee, was ludicrous to me. You're, you're walking into this year with uh, an aging Robert Woods coming off an ACL. You drafted Traylon Burks. You hope he's going to be as good as A.J. Brown. I doubt it. Uh, Metcalf is arguably better, though. Metcalf's been uh, more durable, and he's an outside playmaker in a way that uh, A.J. Brown a little more versatile, more mm-hmm. of an inside-outside guy. But you could argue D.K. Metcalf, because he has that straight-line speed, that his asset as a field stretcher to an actual NFL team is even more valuable than what A.J. Brown brings to the table, sure. which I think why he wants $130 million, a little bit more yeah. than A.J. Brown. And I think that... Makes sense. I think he's worth it. What the hell happened to Allen Robinson? What happened? What happened? What happened? I love Allen Robinson, and I want to know what the hell happened. Us fantasy gamers demand answers. Allen Robinson was a top 30 pick in fantasy football in 2021, and he went on to score 7.3 fantasy points per game outside the top 75. What happened? Well, there's lots of explanations as to what happened. Some say because he was bitter that the Bears franchise tagged him, he decided to stop trying. I suppose it's possible that Allen Robinson put in slightly less effort in 2021 than he did in 2022. I don't know. I'm not the effort police. But I do know he's heading into free agency this year. And no one heading into free agency for what's ostensibly going to be one of, if not his final contract, to be negotiated coming off a failed season. So why else? Why else? Why else might Allen Robinson have failed in 2021? Well, the offense. The offense and the quarterback. Allen Robinson being a bear was the reason to stay completely and utterly away from him in 2021. In best ball, we weren't sure when Justin Fields would start and how successful Justin Fields would be as a rookie quarterback. So the stacking option for Allen Robinson was poor anyway. So there was a disincentive to draft Allen Robinson in best ball. Now, in seasonal leagues, why would you draft Allen Robinson over a Cooper Cup or, a better example, Mike Evans? Mike Evans is a similar game to Allen Robinson. These are outside clashers with explosiveness and big-time playmaking ability, and they dominate in the red zone. But Mike Evans was drafted 10 slots after Allen Robinson in 
2021. And why is that? Target competition. Oh, there's so many mouths to feed in Tampa. So many mouths to feed. Mouths, mouths, mouths to feed. Oh, there's Chris Godwin and there's Rob Gronkowski. And don't forget old Antonio Brown. He might not go crazy. Leonard Fournette's getting six to seven targets a game. How can Mike Evans possibly deliver in 2021, especially coming off his most inefficient season? In 2020, Mike Evans' air yard share and his target share collapsed. And now he's got all this target competition heading into 2021. Why not just draft Allen Robinson? He's the established number one, the alpha in Chicago, right? But in seasonal leagues, more than dynasty, opportunity is king. And when you're evaluating wide receivers, you need to look at their routes run. The routes run data is one of the most predictive opportunity metrics we have. And one of the competitive advantages that you get using playerprofiler.com is the routes run data on the game log in the advanced metrics tables. You can see that Mike Evans ran 588 routes because he was a key part of the Tom Brady offense. The Tom Brady offense does not simply lean pass first, which they do. They also play with pace. 2.3 plays per minute. Chicago ran less than two plays per minute. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. That's how Mike Evans can run 37 routes a game. Meanwhile, Allen Robinson was running 24 routes a game. This is before we even factor in a quarterback's propensity to throw the ball downfield, propensity to throw the ball in the red zone, and ability to be accurate. Before we even talk about Tom Brady's accuracy rating versus Justin Fields and Andy Dalton, the most important metric are the routes run, the total opportunities to get out on a route and catch a pass. This is how Mike Evans can have a lower target share than Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson's target share, 19.2. Mike Evans, 16.4. 16.4. His air yard share was 26.9 outside the top 35. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter because the pie is so much bigger in Tampa, just like the pie was so much bigger for Cooper Cup in Los Angeles. This was why Allen Robinson was a complete stay away in the third and fourth rounds of fantasy drafts. The bar was so high for him to deliver in a low volume offense where he's simply not running routes and the route data on player profiler is more accurate. Other services that show routes run, guess what they're doing? They're showing routes run on plays that were called back due to penalty. They're showing routes run on every drop back, including designed runs, quarterback sneaks. Even when you factor in sacks and last minute scrambles, the math doesn't add up. You need to be careful where you're getting your routes run data. If Justin Fields takes a shotgun snap and immediately pulls it down and runs, that's not a legitimate route run. When there's a holding call, that's not a legitimate route run. Darnell Mooney played all 17 games and he only ran 513 routes but his target share was 26.7%, number 11 in the NFL. And his air yard share, 35.3, number 14 in the NFL. But guess what? Guess what? Because pass attempts were sucked out of the Chicago offense, unlike any other, Darnell Mooney only posted 13 fantasy points a game. Meanwhile, the up-tempo, prolific Tampa Bay offense was propelling Mike Evans and his pitiful 16.4% target share to 16.5 fantasy points per game. Darnell Mooney is clearly good at football. The air yard share and the target share reveal that. 
you should want Darnell Mooney in Dynasty. Assuming that as the years go by, the Chicago offense will turn the dial up on the pass attempts and the pace of play, and he will eventually deliver. But whether the wide receiver was hyper-efficient or not, the starting point when you're building projections and you're ranking wide receivers and you're deciding who to draft in seasonal leagues and best ball in 2022 is what's the offense look like? You're never going to hit on the next Cooper Cup drafting a wide receiver in an offense that's bottom 10 in pass attempts and pace of play. It's never going to happen. And if upside matters most, why would you draft these players? Why wouldn't you just cross them off your list until the end of the draft? But even at the end of the draft, ask yourself, what am I doing here? Why am I wasting a late round pick on Jalen Rager? Why am I wasting a late round pick on Terrace Marshall? Why am I wasting a late round pick on Dwayne Eskridge? Number three wide receivers on slow paced teams with mobile quarterbacks. This was the case for a Christian Kirk. This was a case for a Van Jefferson. Number three wide receivers on teams we expected to play fast and run a lot of routes available in the final round of your draft. That's the move. And a lot of things went wrong with Allen Robinson. Literally everything. But those tracking and projecting the actual true routes run per game knew there was no way Allen Robinson would get there in 2021. Dynasty question, Jalen Waddle or Deontay Johnson? Deontay Johnson's proven that he can produce with a bad quarterback, with great target competition. Jalen Waddle has not proven that yet. He's only been productive in the face of almost no target competition unless you count Devontae Parker. You know, at best, Devontae Parker is all that's competing with him for targets. We, we've listed all the other wide receivers they have to choose from when Tua and Jacoby Brissett are dropping back. Mm-hmm. And because Deontay Johnson has a similar skill set to Jalen Waddle at the NFL level, and he's proven it over a longer period of time, I would go Deontay Johnson because they're both pre-AJ pecs. They're going to give you four-plus years, and you don't want to think further out into the horizon when you're constructing your dynasty roster. So you're going to get four prime years from Jalen Waddle, four prime years from Deontay Johnson. There's also the possibility that Aaron Rodgers does go to Pittsburgh, that Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan does go to Pittsburgh. That would be a big quarterback upgrade. So there's also more asymmetrical upside with Deontay Johnson. And finally, you can get more in trade from Jalen Waddle. So that's the yeah. beauty of it. In Dynasty, if you had both and you just want to keep one guy, I would keep Johnson, trade Waddle. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Great. So is there is there a particular wide receiver where you were surprised about his injury history and injury rating? I'm trying to think. Keenan Allen is a really interesting example to me because he really demonstrates, you know, over the length of his career, how a guy can go from injury prone to healthy over the course of five or six years. Like if you look at 
Keenan Allen. So he's from, he's the great he's the exemplary of Wolf's Law at wide receiver. He's basically the Frank Gore of wide receivers. Exactly. Wow. Let's see. Um, yeah, with injury history, it's what have you done for me lately? If you've been durable lately, that matters so much more than were you injured a bunch four years ago. For sure. Yeah, we have. So there's a weighting system where last year's full weight, the year before is about three quarters. The year before that is about a half. The year before that is about a quarter. So you can see the the importance as years pass of an injury diminishes. So Keenan Allen, for example, he had a 7.1 fragility rating in 2016. And then 2016 was the year he lacerated his kidney. So going into 2017, he had a 9.0 fragility rating. And that was when he peaked in terms of being at the highest risk, risk of injury. And he's only seen his fragility rating go down since to 6.0, 4.2, slight uptick to 4.7. He must have missed a game or two in 2019. I think he was, he's one of those guys who's missed like two games in the last five years. And so I'm willing to bet 2019 was when that happened. And then all the way down to a 3.3 this year because he's shown that he can maintain a clean bill of health after those fluky injuries that plagued him early in his career. Keenan Allen's the man. I'm a sucker for Tyreek Hill uh, in general. And, and I can make excuses, and I want to make excuses for Tyreek Hill as a worthy of a second-round pick wide receiver that I do make. Um, I do like Tyreek Hill because I think the perfect way to use Tyreek Hill is get him the ball. Don't keep sending him deep into double and triple coverage. He's been figured out. Teams adjusted. They're like, you know, we're we're playing back so that you can't get open. Um, so I would have liked to seen Kansas City use a lot more. Okay, if you wanted to play that game, we're just going to put Tyreek Hill in the backfield and give him three handoffs and a jet sweep and seven tunnel screens and let him run through. You know, Miami's best offensive play is. Tyreek with the ball behind the line of scrimmage and hope he beats everybody for five to 50 yards every play. So I think that's what could, I think that's the plan of what's coming. And he could be as high as the number one wide receiver in PPR because of the amount of touches and quick passes he's going to get. No, not in the context yeah. of that offense, not in that offense. It can't happen. Well, Look at Jalen Waddle last possible. year. It's not the, 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 the offensive line's not good enough. They're not going to be able to sustain drives, not with Tua back there. Well, it's not going to happen. You're going to need touchdown volume. You need a lot of red zone visits. That's how Cooper Cup did it. That's how Devontae Adams has done it. You're not making a strong enough case, RC. Well, uh, Tyreek Hill's not going to be the number one wide receiver overall. Let me you want to make a through. case for Justin Jefferson? I'm here for it. You want to make a case for Jamar Chase? I'm here for it. Even Stephon Diggs, I'm here for it. Tyreek Hill, get the hell out of here. Let me make the case for it. Jalen Waddle last year, a very okay, good wide receiver, getting all of those one-step drop. And you don't need an offensive line when you're just going to take one step and throw it parallel to the line of scrimmage to the wide receiver and let that guy try to go make play, make yards. That's not Jalen Waddle's best game. And he carried that to a wide receiver one on the volume of PPR. Um, if you if if Hill gets into that mode, 
where he's going to get seven, six, seven freebie catches behind the line of scrimmage, but supplemented with two to five carries a game because I think they will try to go some version of Debo of him in the backfield. Now you've got a wide receiver who might be looking at 10 targets a game, most of them cheap, so he's going to convert them into catches, and he's going to get two to five carries per game to go with it. So now you're starting to get into a Debo realm of he's going to have so many touches and then I want to bet on Tyreek Hill with his, with the ball in his hands. I don't want Jalen. I'm not going to claim Jalen Waddle's going to be a wide receiver one with all of those touches. That he's going to beat all of the defenders with his amazing running skills. But Tyreek Hill is such a different cat that if he gets if he gets his hands on the ball, if he's just not going deep to take DBs with him, and then they throw underneath the Waddle. If they make Tyreek Hill the centerpiece of the offense, he's going to get a lot of cheap and easy catches and touches, not only in the passing game, but also in the rushing game. I think he can get his way there. In the passing game, he's going to be nothing like Jamar and Devontae or Cup or any of those. But what he might do in the rushing game may put him back up into that class. A lot of words, but not a strong argument. (laughs) Just say no to, to, you know, average to below average offenses when you're drafting players in round two, three, four, five, certainly in round one. Rashad Bateman. This I feel great about. Did you hear him talk about how he's quietly happy about Marquise Brown leaving? And all due respect. All due respect. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, yeah. All due yeah. respect. Yeah. All due respect. Yeah, all not, due not respect. a ton of respect there. Not a ton of respect. But yeah, he said it's his time, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, Bateman. As soon as the Marquise Brown trade went down, Bateman's value, uh, like Amari Cooper going to Cleveland, it was an instantaneous realization of what's about to happen, and their value goes up. Would you rather have Bateman or Waddle? I think Bateman's ceiling is higher than Waddle's at this point. Oh! Why is this amazing? I know. I love it, man. I love it. I love hearing it. I mean, again, we're not willing to go there (laughs) with the rankings, but I love it. He's amazing. He is amazing. He's exactly what we want in an NFL wide receiver. When they drafted him so late, you know, what was it? 10 plus picks after Devontae Smith. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? What are you doing, Eagles? You have a guy who is clearly everything you're getting in Devontae Smith, only bigger, faster, better. And because he went to Minnesota and not Alabama, you're going to go with the guy that that has the Heisman Trophy and the jersey you're familiar with and all the hardware. But because Bateman went to Minnesota, he doesn't have those things. He just happens to be better at playing wide receiver, more versatile, better able to beat man coverage, better hands, better in every way. Like, I call him explosive Keenan Allen. That's not even an exaggeration. That's just an honest assessment of what Rashad Bateman is. And the only way that you can criticize someone drafting Rashad Bateman in fantasy football is to be like, oh, well, the Lamar Jackson offense, oh, Lamar Jackson effect. That's all people have to hold on to right now.
Between Mike Williams and Cortland Sutton, now that Tim Patrick is out for the year, does that does it? Can you push Sutton ahead of Williams, or is is the upside already in place with Williams, regardless of the depth chart? And why would why would you ever consider moving anyone ahead of him? Isn't it true that maybe Sutton just moves up and is now adjacent to Williams? Now he's essentially in what Williams' position was from the beginning. And in the last seven days, they've actually only been drafted three picks apart. He Sutton is now being viewed on par as a wide receiver 12 through 16, depending who's drafting, with Keenan Allen and the jumble of others we've talked about. And so that's how people are viewing him. It's almost impossible for his ADP to go higher. I mean, it just keeps surging, so much so that I can't get him unless I, what I deem, reach for him. And also when you think about it, like, Think how far we've come from what his ADP is now to last year whenever Ju- Jerry Judy returned from injury and Sutton only averaged 4.9 fantasy points per game. Like, How do you get Sutton involved for basically being unusable in fantasy? That is insane to me. But The rationale is that he was coming off a torn ACL. He was not 100% yep. for the entire season, and he had Teddy Bridgewater as his quarterback, and that was just a very bad talent fit. The moral of the story, though, is that I want to be all in on the Broncos, and that's that's why I'm in on Sutton. Uh, Remember that Russell Wilson was the only quarterback to throw for 30-plus touchdowns in four consecutive seasons ahead of last year and then paced for 39 through the first four games until he suffered that torn tendon in his finger. And then when he returned, he just wasn't the same player at all. Uh, 61% of his passes he completed for less than seven yards per attempt and just 16 fantasy points per game down the stretch. But even so, has still led the league quietly in rate of throws into the end zone, end zone targets, in every year since 2018. And now he looks up and he sees Cortland Sutton. Now he looks up and he sees 6'5", Albert O. So I think, like, now at full health, it's genuinely a match made in heaven. Also, we talk about the fantasy playoffs. The Broncos closed the year against the Cardinals in Week 15, the Rams in Week 16, and the Chiefs in Week 17. So genuinely everything you want in a player that can not only sustain production throughout the year, but then close the year as a hammer. Another great answer. <laughs> Another great answer. You mentioned Russell Wilson. In this FFWC mm-hmm. draft, Wilson went 11th round along with Trey Lance, and Prescott went 12th round. William Wilson and Prescott, to me, are similar quarterbacks in similar situations that should be drafted around the same ADP because neither one of them are running as much as they used to. Wilson seems like a guy that has a higher ceiling. I completely agree. We can logically pencil in the most pass attempts of his career and the fastest paced offense of his career. Even just last year, like the Seahawks literally averaged three fewer plays per game than the next closest team. Their wideouts collectively averaged just 20 routes per game. Their offense was never on the field to begin with. They don't want to play that style. Whereas the Broncos, or at least we know, in three years under LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, they were still the Packers at least top 13 each season and pace from neutral game script. So I want to believe in a faster pace for a Broncos offense that's moving to a, a zone offense as well and will allow 
what is now basically two wide receiver sets, right? We lost Tim Patrick. I like KJ Hamler as a 14, 15 round pick, but let's still be real. This is Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. They're going to now stay glued to the field, which is unfortunate because I did love Tim Patrick, but now it opens the door for Judy Sutton and then more 12 personnel with Dulcich and Alberto together. Oh, that's just, that's just so delightful. Free Lance. Alberto. Rashad Bateman. Free Lance. Alberto. Rashad Bateman. Free Lance. Alberto. Rashad Bateman.